Well, that, that is our prayer, um, what you just heard from Katie Pesson, and we want to follow Jesus. In fact, that's really how he defines, that's how Jesus defines a Christian as following him, following him. And uh, so we've gathered here today as a church family uh, to remind ourselves that that's our mission, that's our purpose here. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's a good, good day to be here at Windsor Road. And if this is your first time here, my name is Randy, and I'm privileged to be the uh, lead minister here at the church. And it's a special weekend uh, for many families. It's graduation weekend at the university, and uh, uh, so we want to extend a warm congratulations to uh, all of our graduates. And we'll be praying over our uh, graduates from high school a little bit later on in the service. Um, I got to thinking, you know, this weekend and the weeks to follow, uh, there's going to be ceremonies and speeches and uh, the awarding of degrees and just the launching of, into new careers. And uh, you can always get some really good sound bites, good one-liners from those commencement addresses. And so I found some to share with us uh, this morning. I like this one. A graduation ceremony is an event where the commencement speaker tells thousands of students dressed in identical caps and gowns that individuality is the key to success. So, here's another good one. Uh, When the game is over, both the king and the pawn go back in the same box. Uh, Here's one from uh, the late Nelson Mandela. This will be in commencement addresses all across the country. If you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy then he becomes your partner. And then there's this one. I like this one. Orville Wright didn't have a pilot's license. So go change the world. My favorite is this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, Dallas Willard, uh, the late Dallas Willard, who was a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California, spoke those words. He spoke those words to a pastor who was experiencing a very intense and busy season in his life, and he just didn't know how to keep it all together. And so Uh, This pastor calls Dallas Willard because Dallas Willard had been his mentor throughout the years. And he said, I I just need some help. I need some some wisdom. I need to know what tips that uh, would help me through this intense, busy season. And there was a long pause on the phone. Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The pastor scribbled it down thought, oh yeah, that's good. I like that one. That's good. Okay, okay. Got that. Okay, now what's next? Long pause. Okay. Dallas Willard, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There is no nothing else. There is no nothing else. And, and that is a good piece of wisdom for all of our graduates. I want to sit in that quote for a little while today, Um, and I want to talk about how that can happen in a very practical level in our lives. Today, I have a graduation gift from God himself. It is a gift that will help us ruthlessly eliminate hurry 
from our lives. It's a gift that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It was a gift that God gave Old Testament Israel by means of a law. And although the law has expired for Christians, it is a gift from God that still remains for us today. It's a gift that will keep you physically fit and intellectually sharp and emotionally and spiritually healthy. It's a gift that will improve your relationships and will restore depleted energy. It is a gift for people at any stage of their lives, whether you are 22 and graduating or whether you're 92. It matters not. It is not the kind of gift that screams for your attention, but it is the kind of gift that if you do not utilize in your life, you will be screaming for attention. If you will befriend this gift, you will know more joy, have more endurance, and experience more peace. What gift am I talking about? I'm talking about the gift of Sabbath. The gift of Sabbath, the gift of taking intentional rest, the strategic rest we need. I'm talking about the prudent practice of purposefully, strategically, intentionally letting your life lie fallow one day out of every seven. I'm talking about the wisdom of planned dormancy. The Bible calls this Sabbath. Sabbath. And you know, it shows up in the Ten Commandments. Listen to these words from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This is God's word. And I find it interesting that this command is the longest um, of all of the Ten Commandments. In other words, God uses more words. It's got a higher word count uh, than any of the other commandments in terms of what God had to say about it and what he meant about uh, who needs to practice it. Um, Furthermore, this commandment appears before other commandments like do not kill or do not steal or adultery or coveting. Oh, and there's something else, that this commandment is even here. I mean, I mean, it's here instead of other commandments like, you know, thou shalt tithe. That's not in the top ten. But Sabbath keeping is. The Sabbath. Did you know no other culture on the face of the earth had a day of rest before the Jewish people? No other culture. 
The the best evidence of history indicates that the Sabbath originated with the Jewish people. And it came right here from the Bible in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, as we consider taking intentional rest as a way of ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives, as we consider this this beautiful gift of Sabbath, I want to answer three questions this morning. The first is, okay, well, let's define Sabbath. What is it? What is it? Let's figure that out. Secondly, after we define what it is, I want to talk about what what the meaning of the Sabbath is. There's a threefold meaning that we'll discover uh, that has to do with ourselves, that has to do with our world, and that has to do with God. So let's talk about the meaning, the, the heartbeat behind Sabbath keeping. And then, thirdly, uh, let's answer the question what does it look like? Let's get very practical in terms of what it means to uh, practice Sabbath. That's where we're going here this morning. And, and this is so important. We've been in this series of the family on purpose for several weeks now, and I really truly believe that this is the most important theme that we can talk about. Um, Listen, you know and I know that we live in a world that does not turn off. It just doesn't. We live in a 24-7 world that does not know what it means to slow down. And we've got more time-saving gadgets than any other generation uh, uh, that the world has ever known. And yet, on average, we get an hour and a half less sleep per night than our grandparents did a hundred years ago. Um, The pace of life just keeps going and going and going. And we're hurried and hurried and hurried. And... um, and we haven't really stopped to think, well, where are we going, you know? And one comedian was humorous about this when he said, I think the single most frustrating aspect of driving is that you spend your whole life stopping at red lights, and then at the very end, there's a very cool irony. When you die, they let your funeral procession run the red lights on the way to the cemetery. You know, because when you're dead, it's important to make good time. It's, I'm dead, but I'm early. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your lives. God gives us this gift, the gift of Sabbath to help us do that. So, so let's open this gift and see what it is. What is it? Well, here's what it is. Sabbath, just the word literally means to cease, to stop. Stop. Shabbat. Cease. Remember the ceasing. And, and not just stop for the sake of stopping, but stopping for the purpose of resting. Resting and refresh, refreshing. And there it is. That's, that's God's heart. God wants you to rest yourself so that you can refresh yourself. He wants you to, refresh your, he wants you to rest yourself so that you can refresh yourself. Rest in order to refresh. That's it. That's the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a weekly day of rest and refreshment, a day to cease working and relax in God's care for us. It is a day to stop the things that occupy our work days, good things, wonderful things, even holy things, 
but things from which God wants us to stop so that we can participate in activities that nurture peace and relationships and worship and celebration and thanksgiving. The purpose of the Sabbath is to clear away the distractions of our lives so that we can rest in God and experience His refreshment in a new way. Sabbath. Cease. Stop. Rest in order to be refreshed. I learned something new this week. Um, um, So Adam and Eve were created in Genesis chapter 1. That's not the new thing that I learned. (laughs) You remember which day they were created? The sixth day. That's not the new thing that I learned. Here was the, was the, 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 the thought that I learned. On the seventh day, God rested, correct? So Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, their first full day of life after they were created was a day of rest with their creator. That's wonderful. How What a beautiful thought that is. That out of that Sabbath rest, out of their day with God, in rest and refreshment, they were then equipped to steward the creation that he had made, that he wanted them to be trustees and custodians of. Exodus 31, 17 speaks of the Sabbath as a sign, a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and here it is, and on the seventh day he rested And then it says, and was refreshed. Isn't that wonderful? That God would be refreshed? What's that mean? Well, the word refreshed literally means exhale. God exhaled. And and one scholar translates uh, Exodus 31, 17. And God caught his breath. God caught his breath, which then implies, and if God needs to catch his breath, what about us? What about us? God took it all in. He saw it. He evaluated it. He reflected on it. And he exhaled as if to say, this is good. I like this. I'm pleased with this. I enjoy this. I want this. I want this rhythm I want this rhythm between the gift of work and the gift of rest. The gift of work and the gift of rest. And so every time you participate in both, and every time you Sabbath, every time you rest in order to refresh, you reflect the face of God. You reflect the face of God. Well, that kind of leads us to the second question that I want us to discuss here. And that has to do with the meaning of Sabbath. There's a threefold meaning behind the keeping of Sabbath. When I keep the Sabbath, I'm saying something about myself, I'm saying something about my world, I'm saying something about my God. First, myself. What I'm saying is that by keeping the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a sign of my design. It's a sign of my design. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, take a look at this picture. This is Bernard Lagat. Bernard Lagat. He's Kenyan-American. 
uh, he has dominated uh, running in uh, men's running in the 1,500 to 5,000 meter distances. I mean, he is the dude, all right? He's a four-time Olympian. Over the years, he's won gold, silver, bronze medals at every major running event, Olympics, world championships, etc. Last June, at 39 years of age, 39 years of age, Bernard won his seventh USA men's 5,000-meter title. I mean, he is a rock star in the running world. So what's his secret? What's the secret to running uh, uh, so long and, and achieving all that he's achieved? You know what his secret is? Here it is. I mean, he's very open about it. His secret to running is that he stops running. He stops running. Every fall for five weeks, Bernard puts away his running shoes. No running, no sit-ups, no heavy lifting, except with a fork. He eats whatever he wants. He takes the time to be lazy. He says that this yearly, intentionally scheduled season of inactivity is one of the reasons for his long-term success. And of course, others ask, well, you know, if you're gone for five weeks and you put your running shoes away and you eat whatever you want, I mean, I mean isn't it hard to start back up? He says, absolutely. <laughs> he says, uh, uh, after five weeks off, a 30-minute jog doubles him over. <laughs> but that's part of the process. Furthermore, each week during the 11-month racing season, Bernard takes one day off. He rests. And why? Here's why. Your body is tired. You're not a machine. Church family, your body gets tired. You're not a machine. Your children get tired. They're not machines. Your family gets tired. It's not a machine. The the Sabbath is a sign of our design. We've been created by a good God who is not a taskmaster. The Lord's prayer does not begin with our master who art in heaven. No, it's our Father. You're not a slave. You're His child. And much of our fatigue, much of our fatigue, whether it's from family life or work life, Or yes, even church life. Much of our fatigue comes from trying to do more than what God expects you to do. Your body is tired. You're not a machine. Rest so that you can refresh. All right? So that's one layer to the meaning of Sabbath keeping. But the other layer has to do uh, with uh, our relationship with the world. And uh, let me explain it this way. For 400 years, Pharaoh enslaved God's people. 400 years, Pharaoh did this. And and, Pharaoh is this interesting character in the Bible. Uh, Whenever we read about Pharaoh, he comes across anxious. You know, do I have enough food? Do I have enough bricks? Well, you know from working with organizations and offices that, I mean, if the boss is that way... I mean, everybody else in the organization is going to be that way. And that's how Egypt was. Egypt was this anxiety-infested culture which turned people into brick-making machines. So, of course, there was no Sabbath in Egypt. Pharaoh didn't take a day off because you've got to work 24-7 if you're going to stay on top of the pyramid. 
And that meant there was no day off for the Hebrew slaves because they had to gather straw during their time off. There was no work stoppage of any sort in the Egyptian system because insane, frantic productivity drove the entire culture. But in the fourth commandment, God abolishes Pharaoh's entire insane, anxious production machine. In the fourth commandment, the sovereign God says there are limits to how much and how long slaves must produce bricks. There's limits to how much food Pharaoh can store and consume and administer. And these limits will be set by a once a week pause button deliberately pushed to break the cycle of production because life is not about frantic, moving about, anxiously producing and consuming that reduces you to a slave and everybody else to either a threat or a competitor. And I want everybody to take the day off, God says. Everyone, even your dog, gets a day off. The livestock, no work. The Sabbath day defies Pharaoh's pyramid scheme. The Sabbath day levels the playing field for all people of all classes, citizens, non-citizens, all ages, all creatures. And I love this quote. It's from an author named Don Postima in his book, Catch Your Breath. When no one is working, it's hard to tell the difference between them by their achievements. They are equal as image bearers of God. That's good. That's good. See, see, the Sabbath was the original emancipation proclamation. You're not a slave. You're a child of God. That's what you learn about yourself. That's what you learn about the world. And the most important meaning, the most important layer, is what we learn about the Lord. Because when we practice Sabbath, the Sabbath is an act of trust in the God who is the sovereign king of this universe. Deuteronomy 5.15 is another uh, passage of scripture that talks about the Sabbath. And in Deuteronomy 5.15, it speaks of God who brought his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And every Sabbath you take shows that you still trust God's mighty hand. And that you still believe that his arm is outstretched. See, Every Sabbath you take is your statement of faith that God is running this universe. And let me be more specific. Every Sabbath you take is your statement of faith that God is running this business that you purport to own. It's his business, really. Every Sabbath you take is your statement of faith that God is running your company. That he's running your office that he's running your life, that he's running this church. Every Sabbath you take is your declaration that you are not almighty or all-knowing or all-present, but that you worship the one who is. Taking Sabbath is your statement of faith that you can accomplish more by doing less. God, I'm going to stop. Because I'm going to trust that you will do more through me in six days than I can do by myself in seven. 
Listen, here's the deal about most of our jobs. The thing that will make you or break you professionally really has very little to do with how many hours of overtime you work. Okay? You may think it does, but it doesn't. Your, let me explain. Your breakthroughs have very little to do with what you can control. <laughs> Your breakthroughs have more to do with the economy or uh, chance meetings or global affairs or climate, things that are totally and completely out of your control, but all within the sovereign control of God. So what do you think he might do on your behalf if you say, you know, as much as I love all what I do for a living, once a week I'm going to declare my dependence upon you. Now, if you've never done this before, it's going to be hard. I know. I know. You're going to see a name on your phone. You're going to be tempted to answer that, you know. And you're going to want to grab the reins. God, are you sure you can handle this? And our almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God will say, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And when this becomes a part of your rhythm, when you show that you trust God every week by giving him one day each week, And you become skilled, skilled at Sabbath keeping, you see. Well, then you will understand why it's the fourth commandment. Because when God provides for my needs, why would I ever need to steal anything? When God provides and supplies, why would I ever need to covet? When God comes through for me, why would I ever need to work myself or my staff to death? Or or when I Sabbath, I mean, when I Sabbath then I won't be at the office on that day that late and then have a chance encounter with another employee that might lead to adultery. You see how this works? Why would I be driven to those extremes when I have learned to trust on a daily basis? That's why it's the fourth commandment. Trust God every week by taking time off once a week. Rest. And be refreshed. That's how you ruthlessly eliminate hurry. So we've talked about what it is. We've talked about what it means. And now, okay, well, what would an ideal Sabbath look like? Right? What would an ideal Sabbath look like? Well, so if the purpose of Sabbath is to rest yourself in order to refresh yourself, let me ask you this question. What refreshes you? What refreshes you? What what brings refreshment to your soul? Well, then that's what your Sabbath should look like. So for Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, it was a leisurely walk with his disciples where they ate grains from a field when they got hungry. There it is. Uh, um, I read about one couple who on their Sabbath, they prepare steel-cut oats because the meal takes so long to cook. And the gift of Sabbath is a gift of abundant time. And a slow-cooked meal uh, helps this couple ruthlessly eliminate hurry. So, you know, a good Sabbath is going to uh, rest from income-producing activity. A good Sabbath will avoid stress or hurry. A good Sabbath um, for you might be what uh, uh, someone has called dirt therapy. You know, getting outside and enjoying your backyard. 
A good Sabbath will neglect anything that might appear on your normal weekday to-do list. Or anything that doesn't feel peaceful or anything that's the opposite of refreshment. And certainly a good Sabbath will be a no homework day. A good Sabbath will include a meal with your family and friends. A good Sabbath might mean helping the helpless or serving the poor or healing someone. It might mean an anonymous act of compassion. Jesus said, is it lawful to do good on on the Sabbath? And the answer is, of course it is. Of course it is. And yes, a good Sabbath must include a nap. A good Sabbath might call you to disconnect from technology, your email. Uh, I read about one family who made a Sabbath box. And in it, they put their laptop and their iPad and their cell phone and the keys to their car. Why? So that they can disconnect and go outside and play and walk and ride their bicycles and breathe the spring air. So, So this Sabbath is a form of resistance against the world wanting to crowd its ways into our lives. You know, on the other hand, a good Sabbath might mean using technology like your laptop so that you can Skype your children or grandchildren. So, I may be frustrating some of you because you're thinking, well, Pastor, tell me what I can and can't do. Give me a list. No. No. No, if you want a list... Go look up the Pharisees. They, were at, they can give you a list. They're legalists at this thing, all right? Well, well, you mean so, I mean, does my Sabbath have to be on Saturday? Well, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't share the Jewish heritage, so I still have to do it on Saturday. But what about Sunday? I'm confused. You know, can we let the Apostle Paul speak for us here in Romans chapter 14, verse 5? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. And then there's Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So there will be no legalism from this pulpit. The Sabbath is a gift. And so, and, and for some of you, your Sabbath will be on the same day that you worship. All right? Uh, this is the day I worship with you. But tomorrow is my Sabbath. And for those of you who are either in the military or in emergency services, you see, you know, your Sabbath will, will vary because your schedule varies, you see. So I'm not going to give you a list. I just want to ask you some questions about this beautiful gift. Does this promote refreshment or not? Does it promote enjoyment? Does it help you feel loved as a child of God? Does this help you reflect and remember who you are and who God is and why you're here? You see, that's the intimate side of Sabbath keeping. Because some of us would rather skim the surface of life, racing from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, so as to avoid the uncomfortable questions like, Why am I here? What is my purpose? It's just easier to numb ourselves with activity than to sit still and be still and receive. And receive. One of the authors in my research for this message uh, wrote about speaking to a mother's 
uh, of preschoolers group about the Sabbath. And she commented about how many of the moms in her group uh, felt the seven-day-a-week pressure to keep the countless balls of family life and work life in the air. I mean, they drive their kids to activities and they keep the home front organized and clean and fix meals and shop for food and kids' clothes and toys and school supplies. And they try to give their children a significant amount of undivided attention. And many of them work part-time or full-time. And they multitask continually and they find it exhausting. Exhausting, and uh, um, uh, the author of this book just nurtured them and pastored them and encouraged them to open this gift of Sabbath rest. And one young mother replied, I didn't know that I was allowed to rest. And the author said, What is going on in our culture that a mother with young children believes she's supposed to be active and productive every minute? Why is it scary to think about stopping or slowing down all this relentless activity? Why why do we need to justify our existence by constant motion? That's the question, isn't it? Why do we need to justify our existence by constant motion? Who do you look to to justify your existence? Who do you look to? Jesus said, look to me. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Listen, Pharaoh will never say that to you, ever. Pharaoh says, more bricks. Jesus says, more rest. Pharaoh says, never enough. Jesus says, enough. It is finished. Pharaoh says, your identity must be achieved. Jesus says, no, your identity must be received. Pharaoh shouts out, your worth is based on what you do. And Jesus says, your worth is based on what I have done for you. Now, now, whom will you trust? A dead Egyptian king or the resurrected king of kings? Christ rests. Christ's Sabbath occurs beneath the cool shade of the cross where he suffered and died for you and me. You see, we can rest because he worked. And when you place yourself beneath its shade, you will have rest. You will. Hebrews 4.3 says, For we who have believed enter that rest. So that we become not just Sabbath keepers, but so that we will become a Sabbath people. See? You see, what God ultimately wants is a Sabbath heart. What God wants is a Sabbath people who live in a world, and when the world encounters them, they will experience Sabbath life. Sabbath family, a Sabbath marriage, a Sabbath church, a place where people can come and feel refreshed. Do they do that with you? When people walk into your life, do they feel rested and refreshed because of their experience with you? Do they walk away from you refreshed? When you enter a room, does Sabbath peace Come with you. 
Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What follows you? What do you leave in your wake? Is it chaotic, brick-making, production, anxiety? Or is it Sabbath peace? Sabbath rest? And here's where I'm so encouraged by our church family. I truly am. Um, just this past week, you know, I've, I, I've experienced the Sabbath rest uh, and I've witnessed others experience the Sabbath rest in their interaction with our church family. And I'm thinking about Friday night, Celebrate Recovery, where I had a conversation with one in the Celebrate Recovery community who spoke of the rest and refreshment that they receive when they journey along with others in overcoming by God's grace and by God's Sabbath rest their hurts and habits and hang-ups. Last Tuesday, um, I got to meet Sundar and Sarita Tapa who are um, Nepali citizens and Brothers and sisters in Christ, and they lead um, phenomenal ministry there. And Sundar and Sarita were here uh, this past weekend. I was at a family a wedding in Oklahoma. I couldn't be uh, here to meet with them, but I found out that I was going to get about a half an hour Tuesday morning. So I went over to Michael and Sarah Douglas's home, and they were so kind uh, to host uh, them and have breakfast. Uh, and uh, when I got there, it was rather a heavy time because, um, and I got there at 7 o'clock Tuesday morning, they just found out about the second earthquake. And their hearts were heavy. And what do you pray for? What do you pray for um, with, in the midst of so much need? And, and so I just had us pray for them. I just had us pray for them that God would so strengthen them and equip them and empower them so that um, they would be so filled with Sabbath rest and refreshment that they would be able to give it on to those that we can't get to here, but they can. And, and then, of course, when you see what's going on out in the lobby with our preparations for our missions team and the supply drive that's going on with uh, Pastor Isen uh, in Haiti and the Dominican and Peru and our other missions trips. You see, God's calling us to be a Sabbath church so that whoever comes into our community, why we fulfill the calling, the vocation of supplying rest and refreshment in the name of Jesus. Wow. I, can you think of, of any higher calling for us as a congregation than to, than to be a channel through which God's rest and refreshment would come to an, um, a starving world? Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. God gives us his gift. Open it. Use it. Rest yourself and refresh yourself. Amen.